With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is the Freeman Report with your host, James Freeman, on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, and welcome to the Freeman Report once again. My name is James Freeman. I'm a former member of the European Parliament, and this is my weekday show where I break down the big issues of our time in our fight for freedom, liberty, and justice. Wow, it is Tuesday the 5th of December. Um, The days are rolling on um, 5th of December 2023. And on today's show, we'll be hearing the tragic story of a trans woman woman who had surgery at age 13. Um, this discussion will follow my guest, my second guest, um, well, my first guest, rather, Lucy Marsh from the Family Education Trust, um, an organisation that is helping to push back against the spread of gender ideology in UK schools. Now, I'll talk more about today's guests in a moment. But first, what a week it has been. We've had the leaked data from New Zealand and the event led by Andrew Bridgen in the British Parliament yesterday. Now, at this stage, I'm not 100% sure what to conclude about this leaked data. My gut tells me that there is something there. Um, We know it's real. It's real data, right? Because the government of of New Zealand have said that it's real data and they prosecuted the um, the whistleblower, so and also put draconian restrictions about reporting on it. So we know the data's real, um, but the problem we've got with this is it's a huge data set. I think it's around a terabyte. Um, you need a specialist server and specialist software and also specialist skills to be able to analyze this. So the problem we've got, um, it seems to me, is that the analysis is being produced by just a very small number of people. So we're left kind of in the hands of those people. And at the moment, things are fairly contradictory. Um, you know, like I said, the um, the whistleblower has been charged. Um, this doesn't, by the way, these restrictions don't stop us reporting on this. And also the New Zealand government can't do anything about the copies that are um, held on um, by people outside of the United States. Um, Journalist Steve Kirsch is continuing to claim that the data provides evidence that the jabs have killed thousands of people. While I saw um, an article in the Daily Skeptic by somebody called Igor Chudov, um, I'm sure that's not his real name, um, which raises, he raises the possibility that this is an international psyop aimed to sow confusion. Now, I know this stuff goes on, um, you know, these psyops and whatever, but this doesn't feel like that. Like I said, I know the source right at the centre of this, um, who's worked with the whistleblower. I don't get the sense that this is um, a psyop. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Um, in terms of the analysis, the Daily Skeptic article suggests that the largest example of um, clustered deaths comes from a care facility for the elderly who can't care for themselves with an average age of death at the time of injection, um, which was two and a half years ago, um, they are saying that the average age age is 87 years old. But the problem I have with this is the person, like I said, I don't think that's his real name. 
Um, the example um, discussed in The Daily Skeptic also doesn't match what Liz Gunn, the journalist who broke the story and who appeared on this show on Thursday. Um, the example given in The Daily Skeptic does not match the example that Liz told us about. As I discussed yesterday, um, I've been told that the largest cluster of deaths has children in it as well. Um, but given the draconian um, restrictions at the moment, I haven't been able to get any more statistics as of yet. So it's all a bit confusing um, at the moment. On the one hand, we know the data is real and that some clever people have analysed it and concluded there's lots of evidence that the injections have killed thousands. But on the other hand, others are calling these conclusions into question. This isn't the end of it, though, as copies, like I said, the copies um, of the data do exist outside of New Zealand. Um, my contact um, is unable to get any more analysis out of the country due to the draconian restrictions around the data. But he is putting me in touch with a doctor who has the full data set. And I can announce that my contact is Kelvin from Counterspin Media in New Zealand. Um, Kelvin has appeared um, along with Hannah um, from Counterspin. Um, they've appeared on the Freeman Report before, and he has agreed to come on the show tomorrow um, after June Slater to fill us in on the detail. He's with the whistleblower right at the moment, who has now been released from jail. So as far as I'm concerned, this story is not over yet. I'll be trying to arrange a meeting with that doctor who has co a copy of the data to see what further evidence we can glean. And I'm sure Kelvin will have a lot to say when he appears on the show tomorrow. Anyway, back to today's show, because I have two great guests for you today. Um, I spoke with um, Brianna Ivy yesterday who seems really lovely, um, and she is open to talking about everything that has happened to her um, following her getting gender surgery at age 13. She told me yesterday that her parents were pressured and persuaded by doctors and surgeons that it was the right thing to do, and that the earlier the surgery was performed, the higher the likelihood that all would be a success. Extremely shocking and sad, as from what I gleaned yesterday, it was the full surgery. So all of his bits were removed. And from the brief discussion that we had yesterday, it didn't work out well, i.e. things now don't work as they should. I checked with Brianna and um, she is happy to talk all about this, which is so important because while it seems very invasive in terms of privacy to be asking these questions, people need to know about this stuff because all of this is sinister, to say the least. In certain states in America, there is a whole industry surrounding gender surgery and treatments, gender clinics, hospitals and surgeons, all pushed by adverts and marketing. Um, and if you want to see how many clinics there are, go to the Gender Mapper. Um, she has been on the show here. She's got a website that tracks all of these clinics. We've also heard um, on the show here from Martha Schultz, um, Partners from from Partners for Eth Ethical Care, which is an organization in the US. Um, we heard from Martha about all of what's going on in the U US back in June, how teenagers are getting surgery in certain states and how this is now big business in the US. 
Lucy Marsh from the Family Education Trust also appeared on this show back in June, and she will be joining us first in a moment to talk about where we are currently with the teaching of gender ideology in schools. When I had Kelly J on the show last week, she made it clear that this is still going on. Um, teachers are still teaching this. Teachers are still lying to parents about it. And they're using materials like the red crayon. If you haven't read that or seen that, go online and search for it. It's all about a red crayon who thought he or she should be a blue crayon. Um, it's pretty sinister stuff. Um, they're teaching this to very young children in primary schools. You can find both of those interviews with Martha and um, oh, and Lucy back in June um, via the website at tntradio.live. Just go to episodes and find the Freeman Report. And there you'll be able to listen to all of my previous shows. If you want to get in touch, then email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And if you want to join in the conversation, get yourself over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for TNT Radio. It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great again? People are talking about. It's vilifying MAGO if it's not going to work. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning, Jemsy. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very well, James. Thank you very much. It's always going to be Jemsy from now on, isn't it? People will think, who the hell is this Jemsy chick? I've lost my professional <laughs> moniker, Gemma Cooper. Gemma Cooper. But, but not to you, not to you, James. What have you got for us today, Gemma? Well, it's funny, you know, the vindication of the last three and a half years for people that think like you and I, our audience, the people that work at TNT and the millions of people around the world who are thinking, you know, there's been something deeply sinister about the last few years. The vindication just keeps on coming. I mean, I was talking uh, on Open Line earlier with uh, Rick and Natalie about a, a report out today which shows that people don't want to go back into the world of work after being furloughed. You know, they've had a taste of freedom, the cage is unlocked and they don't want to go back uh, and getting money for nothing was not a particularly good idea. That's one vindication. Uh, the second, I, I brought this into the uh, the forum today because I know you've got children, so I think this will probably resonate with you. It, it resonated with me because, again, it's it's showing and indicating that, that so many decisions that were taken uh, globally and here in the UK were, were just wrong, basically. So there's a uh, another big study out today from the Program for International Students. They do their assessments, and it's saying that the um, COVID lockdown and taking kids out of school, and then all the draconian measures when they're eventually allowed back into school, wiped out all the improvements in maths and reading here in the UK for children that had been made over the last ten years because we were lagging behind the the UK government put some very, very kind of stringent measures in place to get our numeracy and, and reading levels back up. Um, and COVID and the restrictions wiped them back down again. So um, basically, there's an assessment figure that this study has used, and that's from the Organisation for Socioeconomic Cooperation and Development, bit of a mouthful, but it's a, an official body. And it shows that uh, in maths, for example, in 2018, we uh, students have had a record high of 502. That was the top score. Now in 2023, that's dropped down to 489. That's quite a significant jump in how they, they do this study. Um, they looked at 81 countries around the world. They looked at half a million 15-year-olds. They took, took an average from half a million 15-year-olds in 81 countries to come up with these figures. There are a few countries, actually, that during the scandemic have done okay. And that's Singapore and Japan with their numeracy and their reading rates, literacy rates with their, their young people. But the UK has pretty much fallen off a cliff. 
And we're now going to have to scramble with our young people to get them up to the basic standards of numeracy and literacy, which we were doing, which were lost under COVID restrictions. And that's not even counting the effects, of course, on young people's mental health of those decisions that were taken. Now, I know you've got children and I know that, you know, you would have seen the kind of effects that, that lockdown and taking them out of school had on them. But certainly this is a global study. The UK has not come out particularly well, nor have other countries. Like I say, the ones at the top, Singapore and Japan, you know, they have a very different culture there, a very different kind of way of educating and schooling um, and culture within the family as well. But certainly within the UK, it is not a pretty picture in terms of what lockdown did to our kids. Yeah. Um, and and, th and then we have the COVID inquiry in the UK. What are they, what are they doing? What are they asking about? Um, absolutely ridiculous um, waste of money. You know, they're not looking at all of these things. They're talking about whether... Maybe we should have locked down earlier instead of looking at the damage. We still don't know. The government, well, officially, we don't know from the government um, how much it's cost the economy, um, all of the social damage that it's done. Like I said, giving out free money, it's kind of a bit of an experiment, isn't it, against socialism and what happens. You know, you give people free money um, and um, do you know what? They don't want to work for it after that. Um, so we've got that problem. Um, we've got lots of people um, who are sick. We've obviously got the excess deaths. You know, this is this is the real story, isn't it? The excess, de excess deaths. And, you know, I was speaking with Kelvin from Counterspin Media this morning, and we were talking about, you know, the fact that um, now it seems there's a lot of doubt about this data. I think a lot of that doubt is being seeded. But the big story really here is why, why is it being left to journalists and whistleblowers to look over this data and investigate whether there is a link between excess deaths, which are happening all over the world, by the way, in countries with high uptakes of the jab. Why are governments not releasing the data? It's easy enough to anonymise the data. Um, this data was anonymised. Um, the actual original data set um, that was leaked, uh, well, not leaked, but stolen, um, actually had everyone's names on. Um, in New Zealand, um, but they did anonymize it. So it's easy enough to do. Um, governments could put all of these conspiracy, so-called conspiracy theories to bed just by releasing this to independent doctors. We don't want government inquiries. We want this leaked to the likes of Robert Malone and, um, and Martin Koldorf, um at um, Harvard University, who's a you know, world-leading statistician. Why don't governments just do that? Well, I mean, is that a rhetorical you know, question, you think? <laughs> <yeah>. Well, you know, <laughs> it seems the obvious thing to do because at the moment, you know, we've seen the UK government, they've been forced to comment on it because excess deaths are persistent and they weren't, you know, they're higher now. We've got more excess deaths now per year than we did in 2020 during the height of the so-called pandemic. So this is an issue. There is questions there. And all the government can do is say, well, do you know what? People might have missed their doctor's appointments. Um, so they didn't, you know, if they had illnesses, it wasn't highlighted. The NHS is also on its knees. Ambulance are taking longer to get to heart attacks and stroke victims. All of that stuff is speculative. And it doesn't make sense, a lot of it as well, because, you know, when you look at the data, and this is official UK data, um, maybe I'll um, um, pull some of the latest data off tomorrow. But it does show that heart attacks and strokes are up quite significantly among age groups that we wouldn't expect. So and that's official data. That's official government data. So 
why are they just speculating why you know we right. had the whole speculation on statins oh no 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 the, um, the reason heart attacks are up this was actually came from our chief medical officer who said um you know the fact that people have missed their doctors they probably didn't get on the statins quickly enough and that's why we're seeing it that was debunked by Carl Hennigan um, of Oxford University so this is the big question folks and you know don't let this muddy the waters this New Zealand data um if it does turn out to not show exactly what we think it does because there is a lot of missing data on there um I think it only represents about half so you know put, putting that aside there is this big question and the question for me is why are our governments not looking at it when they were concerned about every single death you know we care for you so much um that you know we don't want any of you to die we're New Zealand shut down literally the whole country when two or three people died so why now when we're seeing higher excess deaths in official data are they just not bothered that is the question that we need answered Oh, absolutely. But of course, rigorous assessment of that data and, and, and what that actually means lead to a collapse in the whole thing and nobody will go near it. It is the job now of the alternative media to do as much as, or the new media, if we call ourselves, to do as much as we can to bring it to the fore. It's interesting how the yeah. New Zealand whistleblower story has gone around the world, absolutely gone around the world. There's huge interest in this story I mean, the fact that poor guy's been arrested and everything, you know, surrounded his house draconian restrictions on using electronic equipment. He's clearly over the target. And it's just like the story I brought to the table this morning. Why was nobody looking here in the UK at the effects of lockdown and withdrawing kids from school on numeracy and literacy, the basic skills? It's down to an international yeah. study done today. Why aren't the UK government looking at it? Why isn't the Department of Education in the UK looking at the effect on our children? It's just this whole kind of la 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 not looking I hope it'll go away don't ask any more tricky questions and you're quite right one death was a death too many from covid thousands of deaths from excess deaths oh we don't worry about those they think we don't see yeah. we do and Gemma it shouldn't be left to journalists like me and um spin media and whistleblowers to answer these questions um you know the accusation is well they're not experts what do they know and whatever but the question is there the question is real it's valid um and governments are doing nothing to answer the question this is why you know we've suddenly got this new thing called new media because the the actual media is not doing its job properly um, it is just now an arm of governments around the world it's all controlled um and they're not asking the basic questions that journalists should be asking which is what is going on Right, Gemma, um, thank you very much um, for that. Look forward to another story with you um, tomorrow. And the rest of you, stick with me because after this short break, I will have Lucy Marsh from the Family Education Trust on with me. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went, I bet you more than 50% didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in, in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. Since, since well, under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God, but under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions 
billions over to uh, that part of the world. These people are, have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them, uh, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism, and, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two one attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk The human mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise! Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. Right, now I'll start with a funny conversation that I had um, with my next guest this morning. So um, as you can see on the screen, if you're watching, you can see that we always broadcast the location that our guests are coming from. And I wasn't quite sure where Lucy was broadcasting from. So I sent her a text and she came back and I've got dyslexia. So what I saw was New York. And I thought, oh, my God, I've woken her up at like 3.30 in the morning. Um, And I said, oh, I'm so sorry I've woken you up. And she said, no, I'm out walking the dogs. I thought, oh, my God. You're keen walking the dogs at 4.30 in the morning. And then it turns out, actually, I looked back and then as Lucy pointed out, it was um, she's actually from broadcasting from York, not New York. Anyway, anyway, I digress. Um, welcome back to the Freeman Report, Lucy. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you. Yes. And it's very wet and soggy in York. Um, so not quite as um, interesting as it would have been in New York, perhaps if there was snow. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God as well, because I was horrified when I thought I'd actually woken you up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> right. Anyway, um, Lucy, you have been on the Freeman Report before, but please, would you, would you um, if you wouldn't mind, just quickly introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit, remind people what the Family Education Trust is and what you do. Um, So I'm from Family Education Trust, which is a national research organisation. So we're a charity and we've been around for more than 50 years. And our primary primary, um, campaign is to research the causes of family breakdown and promote uh, family values and promote um, strong and stable families. And one of the big concerns we have at the moment is is gender ideology in school because of the way that it, it separates uh, families and separates children from their families so that's why it's one of the big focuses for our organization at the moment yeah and um i see you know I, I do follow what you're up to and you've 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 been up to quite a lot haven't you you've had i see you have a conference in london a while back what else has been going on um with the charity over the last few months 
Well, we have a new director now, Peter Williams, who's, who's joined us. Uh, sadly, we lost our uh, late director, Norman Wells, in um, in COVID in 2020. Um, so we've had a bit of a holding period where um, we haven't had a director. So it was great to welcome Peter, our, our new director. So he's on board. Um, so, yeah, we've had a lot going on. There's been, uh, been um, a, a lot of interest in the press um, with, with, with what we've been doing um, because of uh, the big focus that's been on on, on what's going on in schools and the the very late um coming but i don't know when it's actually going to come the so-called transgender guidance coming from the government so we've been commentating on on things like that and um, we have um recently commissioned several new research um reports which will be coming out next year hopefully in two areas that uh, that we feel need more more research and more more of a spotlight shining on them so uh, so next year is going to be quite a, a big a big year for us um so so yeah so watch this space lots coming out yeah, and it is, I, I find it very disappointing that, um, particularly coming from the conservative, a conservative government or so-called conservative government, that they just seem to be dragging their feet with this. I mean, they, we shouldn't even be in the position we are um, at the moment where they're teaching this stuff in schools because the Education Act, um, I think it's 1988, but I, I, you might be able to tell me better, but um, you're not allowed to teach um, non-scientific stuff in schools, you know, like... Um, you know like cult-like ideologies you're not allowed already so the legislation is already there and i've had lawyers on the the show talking about that so that's number one how the hell did we yeah. get here but then you know looking at the history of this um rishi sunak um said schools would receive um guidance back in march then in september we got list trust saying schools should not let children change gender Id identity so it, you know we've been talking about this for quite some time um, what's your, because you're closer to this, um, Lucy, what's your understanding of exactly where we are? Where, where we are seems to be quite complicated because um, from an outside perspective, it seems that there's a lot of tension going on between um, more sensible politicians such as um Kemi Badenoch who who has come out quite strongly saying that she that she doesn't believe that children should be socially transitioned in school. And then from the leaks that we've seen in the press, there was one in the Times um of, of the weekend um saying that insiders at the DFE, they want there to be an exception for children who are genuinely trans, as they've said, to be able to socially transition at school. So that so my understanding, I don't think we're going to see at this side of Christmas because there is this tension between the the the, the politicians like Miriam Cates who have come out very strongly saying that they don't want any children to socially transition at school because no children are transgender and it's a huge safeguarding issue. And then you've got the insiders at the DfE and other ministers who who want there to be social transition to be allowed. So. And they're saying that we wouldn't be able to ban social transition unless there was a change in the law because of the Equality Act. And there's some disagreement about whether that applies to children or not. So it's a big mess, to be honest. That's that's where we're at, is, is a huge mess. And um, I can't see that being unpicked um, anytime soon. Yeah, it is. It is a huge mess, isn't it? And it's been coming for a long time. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, not just in the schools, I remember must have been at least a decade ago because we've got a friend who's actually a solicitor um up in Scotland and he was representing people then um in the prison system um men that are you know abused um women they'd been prosecuted and they were going into female jails there so all of this this kind of big trend this um push of this ideology in the UK has been going on for quite some time now so 
you know, for a Conservative government to be dragging its heels at this stage seems pretty shocking. Um, Lucy, we're going to take a quick break for the news headlines, but don't go anywhere because what I want to do after the break, I had um, Kelly J. Keane, um, a.k.a. the Posey Parker on last week. She talked about the fact that she has been um, going into schools with parents to help them. And it's it's pretty shocking what's going on. Teachers lying about what they're teaching kids, not giving parents access to the, you know, the 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 books and things they're teaching them. And then there's things like, you know, the red crayon. Um, I, I, I don't know whether you've heard of that book. So I'd like to talk about what your understanding is of, of some of the things that are actually going on in schools right now in the UK. Um, so stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT Radio. Attention! Special bulletin, special bulletin. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. There were extraordinary scenes out of the US Monday night where a house exploded into a fireball during a police operation. US Senator Lindsey Graham has once again come under fire, this time for shrugging off the mounting civilian death toll in Gaza. And the families of the hostages who remain in Gaza are demanding a meeting with Israel's war cabinet, saying not enough is being done to bring their loved ones home. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. Right, Lucy, let's talk about what's going on in schools, because my understanding is there are safeguarding issues all around this. Um, like I said, Kelly J was on the show last week. She was talking about going into schools with parents um, teachers, and she, she took, gave one example, actually, where the, after this session with the teachers, the teachers were all traumatised because they felt under pressure. But this is important stuff. They're teaching our kids, aren't they? What's your understanding of some of these safeguarding issues in schools? Well, the problem is, is that we've got third party organisations coming coming into schools. Like there was recently in the UK press, there was um, a story about um, No Outsiders, which is which is one of the big organisations that's been that's been coming into schools, and they they they've come in on on the basis of trying to promote anti bullying, but not not anti bullying as a broad as a broad sort of brushstroke. It's anti bullying, anti LGBT bullying, which is what they they've come in on. And then on on the on the back of that, they're coming in with these with these books that basically promote gender ideology in schools. One of the one of the ones that was most publicized is this book for very small children called Introducing Teddy, which is basically a teddy that's um that, that changes sex. It, it it removes its bow tie and puts it on its head and says, now I'm a girl teddy. Um and that's being that's those videos of it actually being read to very young children in schools. Um so there's that kind of thing coming in and there's just the, the, the trans agenda basically it, it, it tops safeguarding. So, so the idea that a child says that um, I, I think I'm born in the wrong body, um, a lot of teachers um, prompted by these third party groups that come in to teach RSE are saying, "Oh, well, that's that that's great. You're trans. This is this is this is this is great." And they're not stopping to think, "Well, why is this child doing this? What's happening?" There's no safeguarding red flag um, coming up when these children are saying that they feel that they're trapped in the wrong body and and and, and they're just being affirmed with nobody looking and wondering what's going on is there a mental health issue is there a history of trauma have they been groomed and that that is not happening and with these teachers obviously we know um i've got friends that are teachers and we know it's an incredibly challenging um job um quite often you know after well not quite often after school 
you know you don't just go home turn the tv on and put your feet up you'll be marking and doing all stuff like that so what what the angle i'm kind of going down here is you know we've got all this going on in the us here and there's lots of stories about the surgery going on with teenagers and some terrible terrible things that are happening and in this country we do have a culture which is slightly different than the us and i would hope that um if if teachers uk teachers had access to that content they would be horrified as well um how have the teachers been captured why are they accepting this why do you think that are they only getting their information from these these companies um i think that there's there's a mixed reason really there are some teachers who are completely activists who who have, have come in and who love this who think it's a great opportunity for them to promote their, their own agendas some of them are uh, gay adults who perhaps have had their own issues um, with dealing with homophobia when they've been younger, and then they're, they're, they're projecting their own issues onto children. They're thinking, "Oh well, let's let's basically teach them about all of this when they're really young, and then and then they won't experience that." But again, they're, they're forgetting safeguarding principles based on their own experiences. You've also got the teachers who just go along with it because they're they're frightened for their jobs because we have seen several instances of teachers losing their jobs but they, they get sacked for speaking out we have kevin lister for for example um, in this country who was sacked for raising uh, safeguarding issues and his uh, tribunal case is actually coming up really soon so there's there's been more than one who they they they, they raise the safeguarding issues and then they, they lose their job so it, it's no surprise that teachers think well actually i'll just keep my head down and go go along with it because the, the school has been so captured by groups like Stonewall, like Educate and Celebrate. And honestly, there are, I couldn't tell you how many different external groups there are that are going in and promoting the stuff to schools. There's, there's so many of them and it's completely unregulated. Anybody can set themselves up as an expert in this and go in and start training teachers and, and doing assemblies and talking to children. It's incredible, isn't it? And from the conversation we're having now, it, it's like I'm, what's going through my mind is the fact that this has, this whole trans ideology has been entangled hasn't it with um you know um gay and lesbian issues and it's all been put together in one flag um and so therefore there's lots of people who've probably had a hard time because we've been fighting for gay rights which i you know i fully support i think it's great that now that people are not discriminated against um for that it should have been like that years ago and that struggle has now been won but lots of these people, I think, have been caught in, in into this and they think back to probably all of the issues they had when they were younger. And it's all now being merged into trans is the same as being gay. It's the same community and we've all got to protect each other. But it's not the same, is it? No, it's not. It's not the same because this, this ideology, the transgender ideology, basically is, is indoctrinating children um often when they're very young in primary school and then they're, they're coming up to puberty and their bodies are changing. I mean, my, my youngest daughter's just turned 13 and she's just going through, through through starting a period and she's mortified by the whole thing and she finds it really uncomfortable. She doesn't want to talk about it. You know, she finds it really embarrassing. She doesn't want to, doesn't want her body to change. And if you think of actually those, particularly those girls who they say, oh, well, actually, you could really be a boy. So many of them would be like, well, brilliant. I don't want to be a girl. I, I don't want my body to change because uh, young teenage girls are so sexualized as well at the moment because so when we, we could have a whole other conversation about porn, about um, smartphones and porn and the easy access to that. And a lot of the RSE material in schools is actually completely inappropriate as well. And um, 
unless they think that they're stuck in the wrong body, they're then going down the medicalized route. Um, so it's completely different from sexuality because because you're not saying to children if, if they're gay or lesbian, you're not telling them that actually they could change the whole body and become a medical patient for life. Well, listen, Lucy, thank you for coming back on the Freeman Report again. Um, I think this sets the context um, quite nicely why this is so important that organisations like yours are fighting this, because my next guest um, actually transitioned, had full surgery at age 13. It's turned out to be um, a real disaster, and we're going to hear all about that. But this is why we're fighting this, isn't it? Um, If people want to um, support you in any way, where do they go, Lucy? Um, if they um, go to our website, uh, which is um, familyeducationtrust.org.uk, uh, they can um, go and uh, to our website there and you can see you can subscribe to our newsletter, you can donate and you can follow us on um, on X, on Facebook and on Instagram. Fantastic. Well, listen, Lucy, thank you so much from the Family Education Trust. Thank, And also, not just for coming on the show, thank you for all the work you're doing as well. I'm a parent, so I really do appreciate it. Thank you to Lucy. Right. To the rest of you, don't go anywhere because after this short break, I'm going to have Brianna Ivy um, on with me is going to tell us her story about how she had surgery at 13 and what's happened since then. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. These are parlous times for liberty in the United States and for the Constitution and the rule of law. House Republicans have joined with their Democrat colleagues to oust Republican Representative George Santos, only the sixth member to ever be removed from the lower legislative chamber. Three were removed in 1861 after they joined the Confederacy, and the other two following their convictions of the crimes of which they were accused. Santos has been accused of fraud crimes but not convicted. This is a premature, preemptive strike by Republicans on one of their own, and it sets a dangerous precedent. Now, I hold no grief for George Santos. He seems, quite frankly, like a wingnut. But it's up to the constituents of his district to remove him from office, absent a criminal conviction. This is just one more episode in the long history of Republicans bowing to Democrat will. It seems as though when Democrats win elections, they get their own way. And when Republicans win elections, Democrats still get their own way. This is why we're so upset with the Republican Party. Grow a pair, stand up, and say no to the other side. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Meet Norm. He lives with anxiety. But with the help of this latest innovation from Be Normal, he can be normal. Just like everyone else. With the swipe of a finger, you can project happiness, confidence, machismo. Why settle for being real when you can be normal? The Normal Maker, new from Be Normal. This item doesn't really work because there's no such thing as normal. We're all different. What we like, how our brains work. In fact, one in five of us live with mental illness. Don't filter who you are. Start by talking to someone you trust. And remember, there is no normal. The conversation continues with James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Well, the conversation definitely does continue. Um, This is the Freeman Report. I am James Freeman, and I'm delighted to introduce my next guest, Brianna Ivey. Um, And I'm so appreciative of her coming on the show and for what she's doing. Um, um, You know, there's not many people that are speaking out, particularly people who've actually been through the whole process of transitioning, and it hasn't gone exactly how they expected. Um, Hello, um, Brianna, how are you doing? 
I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Like I said, your voice is so, so important. Um, we've just had a guest on in the UK who's um, part of a charity here, which is campaigning to stop um, gender ideology being pushed on children before, you know, these these are young kids who don't even know themselves yet. And, and they're trying to teach these kids that maybe problems to do with you know growing up periods and all the rest of it all the issues and ups and downs that we go through during puberty and they're trying to suggest that well maybe if you're having a hard time maybe you are um a, a boy or a girl um so so yeah so um we've had the context set so um brianna tell us your story yeah so i um transitioned as a child i was really young i started when i was 13 and then I immediately, shortly after I came out sort of to my family, we didn't know anything really about trans people at all. This was back in about 2013, 2014. And so we went to a gender clinic and that was pretty much where we got all of our guidance on how to go about this process. So I went on blockers right away and then hormones as well at 14. And then really what led me to start speaking out today was I had bottom surgery uh, when I was 19 and it was a really difficult experience. I had about every complication possible. And then I also had a surgeon that was really pushing me to do it as young as possible. There were private phone calls with myself and also my parents without me knowing, um, telling me that I would feel better after it. They were concerned that I was still depressed um, and that this wouldn't help. But he said, I see that all the time and this will make it better and definitely did not. And when I finally found out that there really was no recovery possible, then he really stopped all contact with me. This is, uh, I mean, really terrible um, story, Brianna. Um, let's go back to the start, though, uh, when you first, um, I don't know, how. What, what made you think that, that you were in the wrong body in the first place? Was that, did that come from school? What was it that kind of um, sparked that? Yeah, so I always felt very different and ostracized from especially the boys around me. Um, I had experienced that throughout all of my childhood. I was just really, a, I was just a very feminine child and a feminine boy. And I was definitely taunted for that um, from a lot of people in the community. And when I was about 11 and then also 12 years old, I saw, I started to see transgender people online and see videos of them. And then I saw an ABC interview with Barbara Walters and Jazz Jennings. And that was, it was pretty much all of that content that made me believe that I was transgender and not just gay. And so what did you do then? Did you speak to um, teachers at school, your parents? Because that obviously sparked, you thought, oh, okay, maybe this, maybe this is why I'm to um, teachers at school, your parents, because that obviously sparked, you thought, oh, okay maybe this maybe this is why i'm having all of these problems maybe um i i you know maybe i'm the in the in the wrong body what did you do then who did you speak to yeah i went directly to my parents after thinking about it for a while and i told them that i thought that this was who i was and that I, this was the right thing for me to do and to start transitioning and i also saw a lot of older trans people online that shared a lot of regret at the fact that they didn't transition earlier in their life and then also seeing Jazz Jennings and how young she transitioned made me believe that if I transition now, then I will be able to achieve the appearance that I wanted. And I told my parents that. And so we went to a gender clinic and they said the same thing. 
they said that I would have a lot more changes and that I would look a lot better and then I would have a much better life starting as young as possible. So how do you I mean, we'll talk about the surgery in a moment and some of the the, the impact that it's had on your life. But but firstly, your, your parents, um, how do they feel all about this now? Because obviously they were you know, they're your guardians. They were there to protect you. They must they must feel awful about what's happened. Yeah, it's definitely been really hard on my family. The biggest thing is that we did all this at a time before we were even really talking about this, like culturally and in our world as a whole. And so we really had only the the clinic um, for guidance. And then even trying to find a lot of research online, there really wasn't a lot of people willing to discuss pros and cons of things. It was a lot of information from other trans people. And so I had a very false perception of really what was happening. And so did my family. And any time that there were any sort of questions, it was always downplayed when I was in the clinic. And so that's been the hardest part for me and my family is just that we look back on all of it and we realize that we just didn't have enough information. And on top of that, I was making decisions that I just wasn't fully aware of either at the time because I was so young. And so what what's your view now? Obviously, the surgery um, hasn't gone well, but do you um, still believe that that you were in the wrong body or do you actually just um, think, for example, like you said, you were quite an effeminate um, young, young boy at the time. Um, what, what's your kind of thinking now? Yeah, so my view is that I think describing it as being in the wrong body is just inherently false. I mean, I think I sometimes get a little disappointed in the fact that there is so much emphasis on trying to make it seem like it's a right brain and wrong body. But for somebody that is desiring to change all of their characteristics of their gender on the outside, I think that is an abnormal thing, but that doesn't mean that they're bad people. But that language is important because then it gives the idea, and I picked up on that at 13 years old, that it was my body that needed to be changed. And that's why I was very set on this will this will fix all my problems. But even 10 years into a transition, I still am dealing with mental health struggles sometimes. And so I think that it's a disservice to transgender people, especially young ones, that we all clearly see that there's a lot of mental health problems in that community. And to sell the idea that completely modifying the body will fix that, I think is just really, is really dangerous. And I think we see that a lot now. Yeah, it does seem like quite an easy solution, doesn't it? Um, you know, um, mm -hmm. the problems are on the inside about how you feel and what you think. And and people are basically just saying to you, well, if you just do this, um, which you don't even need to do anything, by the way, this surgeon over here, this doctor, well, they'll sort it all for you and it'll fix all of your problems. Um, now, Brianna, um, you said that you um, first had um, full surgery at 19. Tell us um, a little bit about how that has gone and what the physical impacts have been on you. Yeah. So what made me unique um, in terms of the surgery was actually pretty similar to Jazz Jennings. Being on blockers and hormones, like starting puberty, you don't develop as much in your genital area. And so I really wasn't able to do the procedure in the most long practiced way that surgeons do it. And so I had an experimental form of it done that's pretty new. And it used a lining of my internal abdomen skin to do it. And it went really, really badly. I developed really bad DVT and blood clots in my legs. 
and that could have had a pulmonary embolism. I couldn't walk for about two weeks. I was in so much pain, a lot of bleeding. And that went on for months up until about the end of that year when the pain and the bleeding just kept getting worse. And my surgeon throughout that time was just coming up with all these different reasons why he was like, maybe try taking antibiotics or maybe try pelvic floor therapy. But really what was happening was just that my body was rejecting it and it was closing up no matter what we were doing. And then when I went to him and he told me that there was no way to recover this, then he tried to push me to have a second surgery. I went to two specialists after that that he sent me to and they both refused to operate on me saying that it would cause me worse complications or really affect my life. And my surgeon kept saying that that wasn't true. He kept saying that I need to go to another another specialist then that can do it with him. And then when I kind of started to push back, he stopped speaking to me. That's uh, an incredible story. So what, what is happening now, Brianna? Are you taking this further? Because this sounds to me like it it, it, it should be in, in a court of law. Yeah. So that's one of the also disappointing things is that I looked into that and I spoke with three different attorneys about it and to see if there was any sort of way to go about getting justice kind of for what happened, especially for my family more than anything. And all three of them said that in this case, um, the surgery has to, and the case has to be presented to a medical board and they have to decide if it's really experimental or not. And all of all three attorneys said that it's really likely it's really unlikely that a medical board would side with me on this um and they tend to be really in favor of the defendants like hospitals and surgeons in these cases and then on top of that there was also issues with the statute of limitations it was like right after 2 years and they have a hard cut of 2 years yeah i mean that that i was just going to ask you about that actually the statute of limitations it seems incredible to me that children because you know 19 years old you're really still a child i know you know mm -hmm. definition is you're an adult 18 but you know if i think back to when i was 19 i was still a child basically it seems incredible that these surgeries can happen and then the statute of limitations um stops uh, any recompense happening um after two years because it does take a while for all of this to sort itself out now Obviously, you've been speaking out. You, um, I noticed you were on Candice Owen's podcast um, around a month ago. Are you in touch with others in your that have got similar situations to you? Yes, absolutely. I think that's been the most special part of this is that I've had so many people reach out, other trans people, people in the entire LGBT community, other people not even in it, and families that reach out to me and have shared so many stories. I've had so many people privately share really horrific stories dealing with surgeons related to gender that that are not comfortable saying anything. And that's how I was for for the entire time after it up until recently. And it really just reminded me that there are a lot of us that fall that become really mentally vulnerable. And we go into these clinics and we're looking at doctors really looking for guidance more than anything. And we're not given any mental health care or therapy that is really necessary. And we just get put on a medical path of transitioning. And that's a path that you can't go back on. And so that's really what's been the most special part is everybody reaching out to me and trusting me with these stories. And it just reminds me that there's a lot of people that I'm 
that I'm really fortunate I can speak for in this and that I've already put my situation out there. And so I think a lot of people really support that and really get behind that because they understand. And where would you say America is at the moment? Because, you know, I've had um, Martha Schultz from um, Partners for Ethical Care. I've also had Tiffany Justice from Mums for Liberty. I've had quite a lot of people on here that have talked about what is going on in America. And it seems that particularly over the last 18 months, there is starting to be a pushback now in certain states against this. What's your view of where we are right now in America with all of this? And particularly with children. Yeah, really what I'm seeing, and it's actually what's been happening recently that's made me feel compelled to start talking about it, is that there's so much conversation around children transitioning, and it's all adults that are advocating for children to have the right to transition and that they're to, they're going to take their rights away of kids' rights to transition. But we're not even hearing from the kids that do it. And so I have... I have been experiencing this for so long and I was sitting on all of this story and I just really felt compelled to share it with people just to provide a different perspective because it's a lot of activists that really haven't ever experienced that in their childhood. And I felt compelled to share that with people and show that we are pushing a lot of people that have one thought or one idea or one question about who they are at a time where that's that's where I think all of us think about those things. And we put them on medications and we set them on a path that they can never fully go back on. And I just think it's irresponsible. It is. It is definitely. What do you want to happen um, now? I mean, I think I I would say there is such a thing as gender dysphoria, but it's actually a very, very small number of people who genuinely um, suffer from this. Lots of people when they're growing up, as we've discussed, um, you know, have questions about themselves and who they are and that's part of discovery and growing up what do you think should happen in the u.s in in regards to the law um, and particularly children what would you like to see happen for me i definitely want more barriers to these irreversible medications and surgeries that are a part of transitioning like especially for all people under 18 that are minors it's not a play like a child should not have to live in a transition and go through so much medical change and they have to carry that for the rest of their life and as kids the way we think about ourselves changes every minute of every day and even me like the person i was and the way i thought about transitioning is different from just two years ago or four years ago and it's changed so much from when i started and really just what i want to see is i want to see people not only really setting safety in place for minors that are even thinking about this. But I also want to see more mental health care being a part of this. I think we talk so much about mental health. And even on the other side of it, they talk a lot about mental health. But why is there nobody advocating for therapy to be required to do this or for, for seeking counseling before you decide to do this and while you do it? Because I didn't have any of that. I had a 30-minute appointment and I got put on the blockers and the hormones right after that. And I didn't have a therapist the entire time. And I think that that's really dangerous. That is. I mean, my view, um, Brianna, is that no child um, should be allowed um, under a certain age to go anywhere near these treatments. Now, um, how are you now and your family? How, I mean, have you got a positive outlook? I mean, what you're doing is really important and I applaud you for it. But how are things with you now? Yeah, it's definitely gotten a lot better. I've 
It was definitely, of course, hard at first. This entire experience of my life has been pretty hard, especially transitioning so young and spending so much of your life in the middle of that. But I've definitely realized that even though things went pretty badly, I just want more than anything, not not even to tell people specifically what to do, but just really to give people all the information they deserve, because a lot of this information is not readily available and it's not easy to see about what it's really like to go through all of this. Well, listen, Brianna, I'm giving you a digital hug right now. Thank you so Thank much you. for speaking out. It must have been so difficult to share what you're sharing, but your voice is so, so important. So thank you for coming on the show today. And please don't stop what you're doing. And um, Please carry on speaking out and letting people know the consequences of some of these treatments. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Brianna Ivy, thank you very much. Right. Wow. What a, what a show. Um, we've got loads more for you, though, so don't go anywhere. Stay with us right here on TNT Radio. Radio.